0: no one can ever take your story away from you as much as they try and that's authentic because all you can ever do is do your best in a way to try understand who you are where you came from how you interact with the world
1: you are now listening to we are crayons the podcast Conversations with Trinidad and Tobago's creative thinkers and makers. We'll delve into their processes, their struggles, and what drives them to execute continually as creative individuals. I'm your host, Danu McNichol. Do enjoy. Today's guest, she's a storyteller. She's also a trained scientist and entrepreneur. Welcome, Felicia Chan
0: hi thank you very much
1: <laughs> i'm so glad that we actually got time I know. to catch up
0: <laughs> God, we keep trying to meet up and we can't I make it happen yes, so yes. finally we get yeah. to sit down together finally, for sure <laughs> yeah um,
1: and i think um just by the nature of who you are and what you do mm-hmm. i believe our audience would have something to gain from listening to what you have to say uh, so. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, get started by Felicia. Um, what I like to do is basically find out what brought you to this place. Mm-hmm. So if you could start like, okay, who was Felicia as a child?
0: I think it was a little bit organic that we ended up doing what we do today. I can see little clues, you know, in hindsight. I had realized just last year or something that when I was around nine years old, I actually made my first book. I had coerced my younger cousin and my younger brother. I was the oldest, you know, grandchild. And I had coerced them during Christmas time to make a book about short stories about each family member. And we little we literally like it was a mix of you know poems about Uncle Eddie or. You know, a little snippets of something about my granny Popo, and we drew little things or we cut things out. Fast forward so many years, it's kind of interesting that Mm. this is what we do now. (laughs) We help people to tell their life stories through books and through digital heirlooms. And I think that I've always been interested in people and the stories that they have, but it really started to make sense to me in a different way when I left Trinidad. So. When I left Trinidad, I was around 18 years old and I went to university in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And looking at me, because I'm Chinese Trinidadian, nobody could really understand that I was Caribbean, you know, and even the Caribbean club, it was full of diasporic Caribbean people. And they would watch me and kind of take two steps back, even though they were supposed to have Caribbean heritage themselves. It was a very surreal experience. Um, having to continually explain who I was and I ended up traveling and living in different parts of the world and I be, I came face to face with that everywhere that I went and in that process I realized that I actually didn't know that much about where I was from you mm. know we all know these things like Trinidad we became independent in 1962 you know we have Africans we have Indians, we have Chinese we have all these things but what does that really mean you know and who am I and where did I come from right. and I was also working in global health at the time and um face-to-face with communities that were so completely different to my own and working on development projects, I realized that the only real way to understand development and to understand people, to try your best to look into why they are the way they are, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, what are the social, cultural factors that influence somebody's life, you know, what are the things they love? Mm -hmm. What are the things that make them laugh? And I think in all of that started to come together, it was a piecing together of life experiences, work and research. And also um, moving back to Trinidad, I realized that a lot of these answers in a way, quote unquote, because I, I don't know if answers is the right word, lay with my grandmother, you know, the elders in society. Right. They were the ones who could kind of show you, well, you ask me about who I was as a child, you know, yeah, that's the kind of question, what formed you in a way, and There were these older people who could answer questions like that, you know, about themselves, about society and about you. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how it all started. Yeah. And then I came back home when I was unemployed. (laughs) I was, you know, had no idea what I was going to do in Trinidad, basically. And I was in my late 20s at the time. What better time to jump in and try something that completely, you know, you wanted to do. Right. And so Zaki and I started this kind of crazy thing because we had nothing to lose. Right. Yeah. So mm-hmm.
1: I want to get into your formative years then being in university, having the experience of, oh crap, um, who am I really? How were you able to deal with those type of conundrums, I guess, emotionally, if there are things that you actually have to like process how did you do those things
0: i mean it used to be frustrating sometimes Mm -hmm. you know because it becomes frustrating afterwards. so one of the things i used to do is i'd never say i was chinese Mm. i would always say i'm Trini, right you know because from the time i say chinese nothing else could enter their brain because it it matches what the stereotype of what they expect right so i would always be like well i'm trinidadian and then i could say chinese or i would say trinidadian and then i could explain and try to articulate what that meant but I knew that as soon as I said Chinese, it would be like I knew that, and then they would just be you know, it would conversation would not be fruitful. <laughs> so that was one of the things. Um, and then I, I think I just was surrounding myself with people who were also open minded and you know had lived in different parts of the world, and it became a different type of conversation over the years, mm-hmm. you know. And people who maybe had lived the way you lived. And through traveling, you experience that a lot. And also I realized that everybody was very similar, mm-hmm. you know, and that life stories and telling your personal stories was a way to transcend that Chineseness or the Trinidadian-ness or the Ethiopian-ness or whatever it was. Because at, fundamentally at the end of the day, we share stories of life, you know, we share stories, sad stories, happy stories. And it's over a bear sometimes that you connect with somebody the most. So all those kinds of things start to drop away after a while. Mm -hmm. And I think that was part of it.
1: Okay. So what were you in university to study?
0: I went to Canada um, to do a major in biology and a double minor in anthropology and chemistry. Or oh, I should say that I ended up doing that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that was specifically the goal when right. I went. <laughs> like, my double minors were definitely along the way. Because, I mean, at 18, I think very few of us actually know exactly what you
1: want to do, you know? So, yeah. In the younger years, did you have an interest in the sciences?
0: Yes, I am definitely have always loved the sciences, especially mm. biology. You know, I, I really like how... Um, you can look through something like a puzzle, you know, the human body and human behavior is like this big, massively fascinating puzzle. Um, and I really enjoy that, you know, everything has a purpose in your body, you know, like nature, everything is built like that leaf is built that way. And it is designed that way to function. And I find that that's really interesting. So I, I've always been drawn to the sciences.
1: At what point then did you diverge from studying sciences now to doing more of the storytelling and probing history? Right. Doing research, all of that.
0: Okay, so science fundamentally is about kind of, I think, being analytical. You know, back my household, I grew up always, my dad is an engineer. And we were always asked why, you know, like, why did something do this? Why was something like that? And so that was a mindset that I had. And um, when I graduated from university, I had no idea what I wanted to do. But I just knew that I didn't want to be at that time a doctor or physiotherapist and these things. And I was really frustrated because everybody kept telling me I need to follow my passion and then, but I also need a job and nothing fit. And I just basically said, screw it. And I just figured out, you know, these are the two things I like. I didn't think about storytelling, you know, storytelling happened, um, but it makes sense how it happened. So I just knew that I enjoyed sciences and I enjoyed culture and people. And I went to and I literally Googled culture, people, sciences, you know, like (laughs) jobs, you know how it is. And I came up with this thing called global health. And I really didn't even know what that was, but it was This perfect kind of interesting meld of the science world, but with the social science aspect of it, you know, like looking at resource constrained environments, understanding what um, shapes different communities and how that influences health behavior or diseases. And I found it really interesting, but I was not going to get trapped again into doing something that looked good on paper, but in reality was boring as hell. <laughs> and so I did a lot of you know, volunteering, trying to learn about it. From then on, I knew it was about gaining practical experience because I wanted to really understand what it meant to work in something. Right. And um, part of what I really wanted to do was to work overseas in a community completely different to my own. And that opportunity came after I applied for this program that the Canadian government was running. I was working at the time in private sector healthcare, and I ended up leaving and and going to live in Ethiopia to work on this global health project. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think it started to all come together, because that's where you begin to have to communicate who you are to people who are completely different to you. They don't speak your language sometimes. Well, most of the time. You know, they have completely different formative experiences on the surface. And so I found that life stories were, as I I was saying before, just a great way to connect to people, Mm -hmm. you know, like just line with somebody and talk to them and laugh and learn about who they are. And that's when I think this idea of story, I wasn't calling it storytelling. I don't know what I was calling it. I just knew that something was here. And then when I recorded my grandmother's story with my good friend at the time, and the reason why that all happened, Ryan Lee, he is a, a local director, was doing his capstone project at UE and, and I had been interested in my grandmother like this, and he said, okay, well, let's do this. Right. And that recording of my grandmother's story led to everything else,
1: basically. And this is a question that I'm asking myself constantly, mm-hmm. because I, I, I don't think I've come to a satisfactory answer. Mm-hmm. but what do you think the culture of Trinidad and Tobago is?
0: Yeah I mean I could understand why you say that you yourself haven't come to an answer I think that there are many people who are probably trying to articulate that or have tried you know obviously there are so many phenomenal people have come before us and are, are still around us I think doing a lot of work on trying to articulate what Trinidadian identity means to us and to the rest of the world so I know that it's a I can understand why you say it's a difficult concept to, to articulate. I think for me on a very, if I think about something I love about Trinidad, that I feel very special and unique about here, um, is our way with language. <laughs> for example, you know, like Trinidadians, they're like wordsmiths. You will walk down the street and hear the most entertaining two words and it just timed perfectly like I heard a man tell somebody else the other day you park like a real toots (laughs) you know like nonsense and he wasn't saying he was just literally making a comment as he passed the man, you know we have this kind of funny way with language that I love we have beautiful nature that shapes I think um, who we are and how we interact of course we could do a lot more to respect that and to acknowledge that interaction we have a spectacularly beautiful country and I think that there's this kind of mad chaos here that works in a mm. way, and it's very special. We are almost like on the outskirts of communities, mm. you know, we're like on the border of Latin America, on the border almost of the rest of the world, you know, and here all these people kind of ended up creating something messy and interesting and living side by side quarreling sometimes but getting along and you know i just find that that to me feels like home yeah how
1: do you move from that idea in your head to an action that you produce you know doing what you do how does that work for you
0: well i mean i work with my partner zaki deconic who is absolutely phenomenal. And I think that you can't create anything. I mean, you can create on your own, obviously, but there's so much that comes from creating with other people. And so from an idea, I mean, our company was literally just this idea and we had no experience. We never did a book, never written a story, I guess, (laughs) you know, nothing really like that. And when I first moved back home and I had this idea, I had a group of friends who were, um, also had these business ideas and I, I decided, okay, well, none of us are ever going to write a business plan alone <laughs> because it's just not going to happen. So um, let's do a business plan writing group, right? And we'll meet regularly and we'll help each other. You know, there were probably be about four or five of us. And every week we'll take a piece of the business plan and work on it, Right. Um, So it'd be marketing, it'd be sales or whatever, intellectual property, all these things. And so I was chatting with my cousin who um, had a business herself. She's She's young and she's super cool. And I was telling her, we're going to do this with my friends, right? And she said, yeah, but you know, it'll be like the blind leading the blind. <laughs> so, so we, I was like, yeah, that's so true. So we started to get mentors in. So every week we would have a mentor coming in or whatever, every whenever we met, which I think probably was about once a month or something. Anyway, um, so we had Dean Atkins speak about marketing because, you know, tribe and marketing. We had a lawyer and an accountant come in and talk about intellectual property And um, in that process, we had one panel with experienced business people and it was um, family friends, essentially, like I grew up with them, you know, and they were so great. And I remember one of them, um, a woman who's phenomenal, Sandra Perkins, she watched me and she said, you know, Felicia, I love your idea, but i not not really ready for this yet. It's going to be hard for you to get this off the ground and have buying people, right? And she was right. You know, it was, it was still this nebulous idea. But about a year later, she became our first client and she believed in us and she gave us that chance. And that really changed everything because when you can actually have the opportunity to put something down and create it like it's hard enough for you to even try get that idea out of your head <laughs> onto paper you know and zaki and i just worked tirelessly and we were just feeling it out along the way and that became our first book And it was a lot of tears and fighting and, you know, just trying to work out how it would happen. We couldn't afford a designer, you know, because we didn't know what to expect even. And we ended up designing that book in um, pages, Apple pages. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, that kind of started the process of actually making something real, you know, it taught us a lot of lessons and along the way we've just really a bit of intuition, a bit of luck, a lot of our, um, you know, previous training in different areas, you know, our global health and social research experience really shapes the way we approach our projects with a certain level of empathy and always trying to understand in a very thoughtful way, the deeper layers to somebody's life and to somebody's story. Um, and, coming in with utmost respect. So all of those things kind of just synergize and you, you just learn. And I think a lot of it is about just starting and about working really hard, you know, and having people who you can work with and depend on and, and people who. Continue to believe in you in a way when you don't even believe in yourself. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. How long have you been doing?
0: So we founded the company in 2013 and we were doing it part time. Our first project finished in 2014 and then in 2017 i went full time and then in 2018 zake went full time so we became limited um at the end like late december 2016 so really the beginning of 2017 has been a huge change but so now
1: we're both full time how did you navigate from having a day job and moving into full time your own thing how have
0: you made that transition yeah it's stressful yeah <laughs> you know it's always yeah. hard to figure out when to bite the bullet right you know yeah. um and granted zaki and i were never traditional jobbers right no way. Got you, you know we were all, we were working on projects okay. yeah so that is also very different so let's say somebody who has you know a salaried position at right. bp so that is bit different um but yeah it it definitely comes with your challenges you know your instability in many ways for Mm -hmm. sure
1: Mm -hmm. where did the company name come from how did that come about
0: well it's actually from my younger brother so i was talking to him i hadn't i'm terrible with giving quirky names and these sorts of things like i would have named it like family history (laughs) you know um like i remember i applied for something and it was a kid's app and the the name because i was given and the responsibility of it was my story <laughs> it's very straightforward so anyway i was talking to my younger brother about it alex and uh, i was telling him the idea and you know all this stuff and he said gosh you know it reminds me of this madagascan folk tale so in this folk tale um humans at the beginning of time were asked do you want to live and die like the moon that lives a solitary life but wanes in and out of existence Or do you want to be like a banana tree? And a banana tree, if you know, it always has shoots, it spouts shoots, but then it dies. And we said, well, what is life without family, friends and community? And that's why we live the way we live today. And planting is a spinoff on um, banana. I mean, because it's an homage in a way to our Caribbean and African and Asian roots. Plantans were migratory, also, you know, they moved through Africa to North America, Latin America to the Caribbean. And our team is just like that. I'm Chinese, Trinidadian, and Canadian citizens. Zach is Belgian, Ugandan, um, British. We work with people from all over the world. Our stories are from all over the world. And that's why the name is what it is do you have anything that you need to do to put yourself in a
1: creative state of mind
0: i really enjoy going out in nature because it always reminds me of how big the world is Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know and nature is just the most amazing designer teacher in every way Mm -hmm. it's you could never create something as spectacular as the natural world almost it's a great reminder humbling reminder that you're just part of a big picture so all of those worries and all of those things you know you are part of something so much bigger than who you are and i find that when i'm getting stressed do i need to start something new and i need space that helps um i'm a talker (laughs) i wish i wasn't sometimes (laughs) because sometimes i just want to call everybody up like and talk to them and be like i'm so stressed right now i'm doing this so that's definitely part of my process of starting. I kind of have to like get into this crazy zone and then I break out of it and then it'll be okay. You know, but I am I, trying to embrace it more and more as my process um, versus attacking it with right. like viciousness, like yeah. get out of me, you know? So, yeah.
1: So in terms of your values, just listening to what you're saying, that your values puts you in the right place to make those connections. If I'm to pick something out, I would say be just being authentic. Mm -hmm. And we know that's the buzzword now, everything that is happening with social media, Mm. influencers, yada, yada. But what does that actually mean to you, being authentic? And you know, using that as a tool to make those connections when dealing with a family.
0: Yeah, you know, it's a really interesting question. I think that being authentic for me mm-hmm. has meant getting to know who I am. You know, and that can be very hard. Because sometimes you feel like you don't know, you know, you don't really like sometimes I'm very wayward, <laughs> you know, and sometimes I'm very organized, sometimes I'm this, sometimes I'm that, you know, in different circumstances. I read a great article about how values are contextual, you know, because in certain contexts, you will act a certain way. And so what does it really mean at the end of the day to be authentic? And I think that that's the beauty of life stories also. It's the best gift for you and the best gift for me. By us having this genuine conversation, I'm learning from you and you're learning from me. And you start to understand the sense of, you know, who you are a little bit more. And I think that especially in this world that we live in now, you know, where identity is becoming huge, you have brexit you have trump you have these environments now where people are face to face with being outsiders when they thought they were insiders you have rhetoric now that you know people are dealing with on a daily basis movements like me too where people are beginning to understand and to think very much about who they are you know and where do i fit in and so i think that it's about trying your best in a way and to understand that it's also always evolving But to know where you came from, to understand who you are, it gives you this sense of groundedness, I think, as everything is changing so rapidly around you. When we started the company in 2012, there was like nothing, you know, it was so hard because even um, globally, the trends weren't there yet. And, you know, you always hear this about business and timing. You know, like any last year, if you, you can think of things like Ancestry.com, twenty-three and me, you know, the rhetoric that goes on about migrants. And now you have people being like, Well, I'm American, they've been there for generations, or they're Windrush, you know, and they're no longer British just because of these things. So all of these things have created this storm of trying to understand who we are, I think. And storytelling has become big also because I think people are beginning to realize that real stories can actually help you to understand each other better. And so I think it's a very much a journey of introspection, um, which is very hard sometimes. um, But the ultimate reward, honestly, nobody can take that away from you. Mm -hmm. Like no one can ever take your story away from you as much as they try. And that's authentic because all you can ever do is do your best in a way to try understand who you are, where you came from, how you interact with the world.
1: That's what you can do. If you had a billboard and you can put one message on it, mm-hmm. what would that message be?
0: Gosh, you have really these very hard questions. <laughs> <laughs> if I had a billboard, what would I put on it? So something that we came up with early in the company's birthing was this idea of what stories will I inherit? This sense of there's more. And it actually started off as what stories will I inherit? And eventually we, re- we kept struggling with it because we're like, but is it I? You know, because a lot of our clients are older. It's actually what stories will they pass on, right? And so then we started to say, well, that means what stories will you inherit? What stories will we inherit? You know, because actually these stories that we're telling in the grander hope is that as i was talking about this sense of groundedness and, and understanding who you are and the people that you love the closest the real goal is that you open up to the stories of others right and it becomes this trickle out effect where eventually it's like waves of people caring about who we are caring about who you are where did you come from are you caring about yourself and me starting to question that and and question you and ask in you know, a very genuine way but You know, why did you start Crayons? (laughs) You know, like this sort of thing. And so I think maybe it might be that question, you know, what stories will you inherit? But it's really what stories will blank inherit now? Because it could be what stories I, what stories will you inherit? What stories will eventually we inherit? And what stories will they inherit? You know, and... I think that would probably
1: be my billboard, a big white one with just black words. (laughs) Yeah, That's powerful. So that leads me to ask you then, what do you want to be most remembered for?
0: I really don't have a long-term goal of something that I want to be remembered for. You know, I really try to do things and I have always, I think, wanted to just do things that I felt strongly about, you know, and Whether that meant strongly and passionate, because I believe there's a real important you know, meaning behind it, or if it was something that I was just curious about and I wanted to learn more about, you know, a skill that I wanted to develop. So I think that at the end of the day, when I die, I want to be remembered by the sum of whatever I have achieved on that day, because my hope is that I continue to live in this way that I keep trying to embrace the things that pique my curiosity i believe in or as we had said something earlier are just fun <laughs> you know but that they resonate with me in some way and i i think that's whatever that is i'm curious <laughs> i i think it would be fun to see what that ends up being uh, one of the goals when i was a teenager was to be a granny with the most amazing stories. And so I kind of feel like that would be that. At the end of the day, it's the sum of everything. And whatever that is, it is you. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome.
1: Lisa, (laughs) thank you very much. It's been, again, as I anticipated, a fascinating (laughs) conversation. I really, really Um, enjoyed it
0: thank you very much yeah i know it's it's different when you're on the opposite side of answering (laughs) questions questions sometimes and then you're also asking me deeply philosophical (laughs)
1: ones (laughs) so if you can can Uh you tell the audience where they could find you and they could find out more about your work and if they're interested in getting you know how, how they do that the best way to get a hold of us is on
0: our website, which is ww.plantin like the banana dot me. So P-L-A-N-T-A-I-N. And we're on socials, we have a form there, and anyone is most welcome to just even ask us questions. Yeah. <laughs> I am Felicia Chang, and in a big box of crayons, I would be electric eclectic.
1: Thank you for listening. Please share this episode with someone who would find it valuable. And if you haven't yet, subscribe to the show now on Apple Podcasts to get new episodes as they become available. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. It will help us reach other listeners just like you. Find additional content on a big box of Follow us on Instagram at a big box of crayons. The We Are Crayons podcast is a production of A Big Box of Crayons, all rights reserved. Until next time, friends, remember. We are all the same and the fact that we will never be the same. Stay colorful.